All righty. Pray with me. Heavenly Father, thank you for this time that we have together, Lord. I just ask that you prepare our hearts to receive your word this morning, Lord, that we retain your word in our hearts, bearing the fruit of the Spirit in our lives, that we would be uh, casting the image and the likeness of Christ in the world, Lord, walking in a manner worthy of our calling, shining your light into a dark world. Lord, help the messenger not get into the way of the message this morning. Thank you for Christ and his work, that it's because of him that we're even, even able to call you Father, to pray before you today, and to even grasp and study your word and understand it, Lord. Just pray for your uh, hand on our time together that would be glorifying and honoring to you. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, we will not be in Proverbs this morning, or sorry, Ecclesiastes. We will not be in Ecclesiastes this morning. As you can see, pastor's not here, and I don't think he wanted me to mess up any progress that he has made in Ecclesiastes, so he's keeping it fertile, sterile ground. Um, so for this first hour, we're going to be in Proverbs. We'll be in Proverbs uh, 4, verses 20 through 27. I don't know how this happens. I don't know if he's got a dartboard or some kind of wheel of misfortune in his office of, hey, who can, I, who can I select to teach? And what are some difficult passages that I can select for them to teach? Um, but I will say this. It does seem like any time that I get tapped on the shoulder to help out, there are verses that... Um, that are really convicting, that as I study and prepare for it, it's like, oh my goodness, like I should be out there listening and learning. I shouldn't be up here teaching. So with that in mind, I kind of feel like I'm seeing behind the curtain a little bit in that uh, I think maybe PK is a little bit of a sage, dare I say, maybe a mind trick practicing Jedi <laughs> that I'm starting to conv be convinced that as the shepherd of my soul, that he sees where I need to grow, he sees issues in my life, and then rather than having a difficult confrontation, confrontation or conversation about, hey man, you need to fix some things, he convinces me that I can help out by teaching this very thing. So, if you're ever going to listen to this, Kevin, next time it's just going to be an awkward conversation at lunch. I'm going to deal with it, get it done and over with. So, as I mentioned, we're going to be in Proverbs chapter 4. Uh, we're going to be looking at verses 20 to 27. Uh, but before I get into that passage and uh, start reading and, and, and looking and studying at it, I would like to kind of build some context, develop some context. If you're already in Proverbs chapter 4, uh, to help build this context, um, we're going to look at verse 20 real quick, and notice in there, three times we have the pronoun my, my son, my words, and my sayings. So if you could humor me, turn back to the beginning of Proverbs chapter 1, verse 1. I, I'm going to play uh, Captain Obvious a little bit here this morning. Um, but we're going to answer these questions of whose sayings, whose words, which ones, and whose son. So right there in Proverbs 1.1, 1, 1, 
The Proverbs of Solomon, the son of David, king of Israel. That's easy enough, right? Talking about Solomon's sayings, Solomon's words, and which one specifically? Well, the Proverbs. Now, on this side of full revelation, I think we can all understand and grasp that that means this book and everything in this book. Um, but fundamentally, what is meant by proverb? In one of the commentaries I had to use for study, uh, the author Kitchen, he describes a proverb as a pithy sentence packed with thought-provoking punch. A proverb is compressed truth, or to use different imagery, it is a statement of truth stripped to the bare essentials. All qualifications, balancing statements, and explanations are cast aside in order to set a specific truth as starkly and memorably as possible before our minds. Uh, Ecclesiastes 6.11 says, The more words, the more vanity, and what advantage is that to man? Right? These are the sayings of Solomon that aim for efficient, effective impact over exhaustive explanation. It may be simple, but I can tell you what, they were probably some of the most difficult to study and prepare for. If we look at this at a high level, a high level outline, some scholars will group chapters 1 through 9 together, saying that that's the introduction or the prologue, and that the Proverbs, the instruction that Solomon's trying to get to, doesn't begin until verse or chapter 10, and then stops at the end of, some would say chapter 25, others at the end of, end of the Proverbs, right? But chapters 1 through 9, they build, right? There's plenty of instruction and wisdom in there, but they build and they um, motivate, right? They make the case for and motivate the reader, like, why should I listen to the Proverbs? Why should I receive this instruction, right? We're comparing wisdom and folly, good and pseudo-good, life and death, motivating the reader to listen. Uh, now, by default, we can say that, right, if we know that this is Solomon and he says, my son, that we, Solomon is instructing his son or his sons. However, verse 1-4 tells us who Solomon has in mind. Proverbs 1-4 says, to give prudence to the simple, knowledge and discretion to the youth. Simply Simple here can be translated naive or gullible. A person that is open, vulnerable to any influence upon them in their life. Someone that lacks judgment. Youth speaks to immaturity. Inexperience versus experience. So from this standpoint, it's written from the familiar structure of a father training and disciplining his son, his naive, inexperienced son preparing for him for when it's his time to enter the world as an adult, as a man, to be able to enter the world as a mature, wise follower of the Lord. So parents, as we get into it, this is also for us. Are we setting an example with our walk for our children, and are we teaching them and instructing them to walk in wisdom? <clears throat> but it's not just for the naive and immature. And for this, I'd like to look at the origins of Proverbs. What do we know about Solomon? Who was Solomon? Verse 1 tells us who Solomon is. Solomon is the son of David, king of Israel. 
right? What do we know about David? David was anointed by God to be the king of Israel, right? 1 Samuel 13, 14. David was a man after God's own heart. Inspired by the Holy Spirit, he wrote 73 psalms. Okay? That's a big deal, right? Solomon is not David, right? It's not doesn't happen by osmosis. But Solomon tells us that he was a student of his father. In Proverbs 3, or Proverbs 4, verses 3 through 4, Solomon tells us that when I was a son with my father, tender, the only one in the sight of my mother, he taught me and said to me, let your heart hold fast my words, keep my commandments, and live. We, we get a sense of this in 1 Kings 3, when we start to learn about Solomon and his standing before God and the granting of wisdom, right? It tells us that Solomon loved the Lord, walking in the statutes of David his father, right? So he wasn't just a student. He just didn't listen to his father. He practiced what his father taught him. And this was even before being granted wisdom by God, right? Which would mean that it was probably the impetus for his response to God when God told him, ask for anything, right? At Gibeon, the Lord appeared to Solomon in a dream by night, and God said, ask what I shall give you. And Solomon said, you have shown great steadfast love to your servant, David, my father, because he walked before you in faithfulness, in righteousness, and in uprighteousness of heart toward you, and you have kept him from this great, you have kept for him this great and steadfast love, and have given him a son to sit on his throne this day. And now, O oh Lord my God, you have made your servant king in place of David my father, although I'm a little child. Right? There we have the introduction of Proverbs for the young, the naive, and here, right here, Solomon sees himself as that going into his kingship. I do not know how to go in or come out. This is uh, reflective of Moses handing over leadership to Joshua. He says they need somebody that knows how to come in and go out. A shepherd for the sheep, right? Solomon sees that his kingship isn't about governing necessarily. It isn't about being a ruler. It's about being a shepherd for the sheep that God has entrusted him. And your servant is in the midst of your people whom you have chosen, a great people, too many to be numbered or counted for multitude. Give your servant, therefore, an understanding mind to govern your people, that I may be discern between good and evil, for who is able to govern this, your great people? And it pleased the Lord that Solomon had asked this. And God said to him, Because you have asked this and have not asked for yourself long life or riches or the life of your enemies, but have asked for yourself understanding to discern what is right, behold, I now do according to your word. Behold, I give you a wise and discerning mind so that, that none like you has been before you and none like you shall arise after you. I give you also what you have not asked, both riches and honor, so that no other king shall compare to you, with you all your days. And if you walk in my ways, keeping my statutes and my commandments as your father David walked, then I will lengthen your days. So more than one way, Solomon was tapped into the author and the source of true wisdom. Through his father's instructions, through his father's leadership, but then also directly with God, going straight to the source, receiving his wisdom from God. 
verse 1-7 says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge and wisdom. This is not a cowering, terrified fear, but rather a reverent awe, which is only possible if you are in a redemptive relationship with God. So as we dig into verses 20 through 27, it's not for you if you don't have a changed heart. It's not possible for you if you do not have a changed heart. Wisdom's not available unless you have experienced the regenerative work of the Holy Spirit in your heart and have believed in the redemptive work of Christ on the cross. Jim Neuheiser notes that when we talk about this beginning of knowledge, this beginning of wisdom, that it's not like the first stage of a rocket which is cast aside after it served its purpose, right? You have the fuel cells that the minute they're spent, they're done, right? It's not that kind of beginning. Rather, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom in the same way in which a foundation is the beginning of a house or a building, right? Everything that comes after the foundation is being built upon. And it's on this foundation or on the foundation of redemption and reconciliation that wisdom is built. Only then are you a child of God. And then ultimately, in the grand scheme of the Proverbs, as we talk about this father-son relationship, Proverbs is about the heavenly father instructing and guiding those whom he calls his sons. Proverbs 3.12 says, the Lord, For the Lord reproves him who he loves. We all, no matter of our status in the Lord, as long as we are in the Lord, need to be attentive to these sayings. These sayings fill the need for the knowledge of how God works and acts in our everyday life. In one commentary by uh, Stevenson states that there's only one kind of wisdom, that which comes from God. There's not a secular wisdom that man follows in his everyday life and a religious wisdom that man follows in his relationship with God. All wisdom that divorces itself from God is false wisdom. So with this in context in mind, let's turn back to verses four, or chapter 4, verses 20 through 27. <clears throat> Success nowadays... Well, it's typically been based upon your wealth or social status, right? And that may be true. I don't know if it's still true in the modern era because you got all this mobile technology and the social apps, right? Anybody can just seem to be, like, be successful on a moment's notice. Um, but generally, success was based upon academic achievement. And academic achievement was based upon your understanding and use and pursuit of the three R's. Anybody know what the three R's are? There it is. Reading, writing, arithmetic. Right? Well, here in Proverbs, we're going to see God has a different perspective of success for his children. It's not academic achievement, but it's rather walking in wisdom. So my aim today is to show us from our passage... That walking wisely is going to be based upon our understanding, use of, and pursuit of the four R's of wisdom. And that is receptors, the repository, the results, and the resource. So follow along as I read Proverbs 4, 20 through 27. 
My son, give attention to my words. Incline your ears to my sayings. Do not let them depart from your sight. Keep them in the midst of your heart, for they are life to those who find them and health to all their body. Watch over your heart with all diligence, for from it flow the springs of life. Put away from you a deceitful mouth and put devious speech far from you. Let your eyes look directly ahead and let your gaze be fixed straight in front of you. Watch the path of your feet and all your ways will be established. Do not turn to the right nor to the left. Turn your foot from evil. So the first R is receptors, right? What are receptors? We see our receptors in verse 20 and 21. Generically defined, a receptor is something that responds to stimulus, right? So looking at verse 20 and 21, in verse 20 we see, give attention, incline your ear. So quick question, is there a difference between listening and hearing? Yes, I'm pretty sure if Pastor Kevin was up here this morning, the ratio of listening to hearing out there would probably be at a higher level. Does listening happen in the ear? I'd argue that you listen here and you hear there, right? Have you ever heard a lyric to a song? Or a line in a movie and be like, oh, I didn't realize that that's what they were talking about. I didn't realize that that's really what they meant or were referencing, right? Because why? You were hearing, but you weren't listening. We start with getting the mind ready and focused so that listening will happen. With this set, with our mindset then we can incline or bend out, as, the, as it's uh, talked about here, bend your ear, right, so we can listen. I hope I'm not the only one to ever do this, but have you been anywhere, and there's background conversations, and all of a sudden, you're not purposely trying to do it, but maybe you hear your name, or something that they said catches your attention, and what do you do? Right? You kind of disengage from this conversation, and you may like be still or change your posture. Like, What are they saying, right? But you're not just doing it with your ears. You're refocusing from this to that. So, you are, so the instruction here is similar. Adjust your posture. Focus your mind to listen to the Father's instructions. But there's more to it than just audio. Verse 21 brings in the visual aspect of it as well. Let them not escape from your sight. Do not let them depart from your sight. How we are using our receptors, our eyes, our ears, our mind, matters. It matters. We've got to understand the anatomical connection here. Anatomical connection here. Right? The command is to keep, but notice it doesn't say keep them in your eye, keep them in your ear. That's not how our bodies work. The eye and the ear have no data storage capacity. Your receptors are connected to your 
your heart, right? That's where all the data goes. So this is saying that if you take the right things, take in the right things, then the right things will be in your heart. But we also need to be mindful of the inverse of that, right? Taking in bad things, then bad things will be in our heart. Solomon is saying whatever has the attention and focus of your receptors affects your heart. Your eyes, your ears, and your mind are the gates to your heart. What messages, images, books, words, music, movies, podcasts, TV shows, social media apps, family members are you tuning into? Are you focused on what has your attention? These things are powerful whether we realize it or not, and they shape us, right? Nowadays, it's even more convicting because you can get a report every morning that your screen time, right? That, anybody look at their screen time report? Whew. <laughs> so that to say that there's a lot of noise, there is a lot of distraction and garbage in today's world. I, rem- I feel like I'm still kind of young, but I'm old enough to remember, right, before there was satellite, before there was cable, before there was internet, you had a TV, and on that TV you had an antenna, right? And they called them rabbit ears. And what'd you have to do? You had to work hard, hold it in a special way, position those antenna get them pointed in the right direction, in the right configuration, just so that you can what? Watch that channel, right? And if you wanted to turn the channel, well, guess what? You may have to get up and mess with the antenna all over again, right? The antenna worked in conjunction with the TV to filter out the noise of all the other channels and all the other things that are actually going on in the frequency wave, if you will, right? I don't, your cell phones, they have uh, like uh, filtering technology on them so that when you talk on your cell phone, you're not interrupted by all the other like CB frequencies, other radio frequencies and, and whatnot, right? Right? So filter out the noise of other signals so you can watch a desired program, right? Wisdom is the process of receiving, receiving, the, receiving God's words right? Hearing and listening to God's words. And to do that, you must filter. You must turn into, tune into the things of God and God's word. But it's not like a TV channel where you can just, hey, I got this one programmed in. That's the only one we're ever going to watch, right? It's not set it and forget it. Notice the imperative here, right? It says, do not let them depart from your sight, Here, wisdom is personified as if it can walk away. As such, it demands constant seeking. This is like uh, who young young people in the room with cell phones. You go on vacation, and there's no internet signal, right? They're like, I got no bars. You ever you ever seen what that does to a young person when they're somewhere where they don't have any bars? Huh? What do they do? You see him do some things that you probably have never seen him done before, right? They're like, 
committed to like, I got to receive texts, I got to send texts. And they're like walking all over the place, climbing on things, putting, putting out weird places, trying to say, I got a bar, I got a bar, right? They're committed to finding a signal and sending a text, and they will do whatever it takes to find that signal. And they can't, they find it, and then what happens? It's only there for like a split second, and then they're back to the, where's the next best place to get that signal? How committed are we to listening to, reading, meditating on Scripture? How committed are you to vertical thinking? Do you do the things necessary to diligently seek Christ? John 10, in John 10, Jesus is teaching that he's the good shepherd. And three times in verses 4, 16, and 27, he says his sheep hear his voice and follow him. I hope that's true of us, that we hear his voice <clears throat> and follow him. Uh, Deuteronomy, oh my God, this is kind of reminds me of Deuteronomy chapter 6, when we're talking about our, what, what our eyes are taking in and what our ears are constantly taking in, right? <clears throat> Deuteronomy 6, uh, starting in verse 4. Hear, O Israel, the Lord is your, our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. These words which I am commanding you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your sons. You shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise up. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontals on your forehead. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. That command is that you know, whatever they're listening to, whatever they're seeing, whatever they're focused on should be God and his commands. Do it in such a way that it's always there, that that's a constant intake. Are you continually working to keep your receptors tuned in to Christ? If so, if so, then the goal is to amass or retain wisdom. If that's what you're tuned into, if you are tapping into wisdom, then the goal is to retain it, amass it. And the repository, the storehouse for that wisdom is our heart. Verse 21, keep them in the midst of your heart. We know that the receptors are connected to the repository. Now that we have lassoed wisdom with our receptors, we got to corral it in our heart. Due to the nature of our hearts, it doesn't just automatically stay there, right? We've got to work to keep it there. A heart once instructed in wisdom is not forever instructed in wisdom. Therefore, it's possible that this phrase of keeping it in the midst of your heart also suggests memoration, reinforcement, repetition, meditation, right? Do not forget. Psalm 119, 15 through 16 says, I will meditate on your precepts, and regard your ways. I shall delight in your statues. I shall not forget your word. Why is that important? Proverbs 7.1, my son, 
keeps my words, or my son, keep my words and treasure up, treasure up my commandments with you in the ESV or within you in the NASB, right? Jesus knows about our hearts and tells us in Luke 6, 45, the good man out of the good treasure of his heart brings forth what is good. And the evil man out of the evil treasures of his heart brings forth what is evil. This keep within your heart is the key to obeying verse 23. We're going to skip right ahead to verse 23 and then hearing the warning there. Verse 23 says, keep your heart with all vigilance for from it flow the springs of life. Spring, some verses say sources, right? Here it's normally used to describe the farthest reaches of a geographical territory or a boundary or a border, right? The physical here, the physical image is to be taken metaphorically, and it can mean the far reaches of where one's life goes. The ultimate direction of your life is a matter of the condition of your heart. The heart is the source of everything in your life. It's the innermost you, right? Everything you do flows from the heart. All your actions, thoughts, words, they flow from the heart. Jesus teaches us that. Mark 7, 21. For from within, out of the heart of man, come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. And these evil things come from within, and they defile a person. Your behavior reveals the state of your heart. Therefore, nothing is more essential than guarding your heart. Vigilance, in some translations say diligence, conveys the image of confinement, putting into jail, imprisoning, or posting a guard. Along with that, you just don't have vigilance. You don't have just diligence. You have all vigilance, all diligence, right? This is where all means all, the totality. And here, if it's the totality of guarding, it's, right, with all barriers, all guarding, if it's, uh, some say it could be the totality of heart, meaning that um, above all others, your heart is most important to guard. Are you actively posting the Word of God as a guard over your heart? Are you reading it? Are you hearing it? Psalm 119, 9 through 11. How can a young man keep his way pure? By guarding it according to your word. With my whole heart I seek you. Let me not wander from your commandments. I have stored up your word in my heart that I may not sin against you. How else can you guard your heart? Or are you a doer of the word, not just a hearer? James 1, verse 22 through 25. But be doers of the word, not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in the mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets but a doer who acts, 
He will be blessed in his doing. Guard your heart. Are you filtering your circumstances, decisions, thoughts, responses through what God's word says? 2 Corinthians 10.5 We demos arguments in every pretense that sets itself up against the knowledge of God and we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. When we know scripture, we can preach the gospel to ourselves. We can expose sin in our hearts. We can expose the lies that we have that have made their way into our heart. And we can take thoughts captive, right? That's a powerful way to guard your heart and mind. Another way is, do you prayerfully seek the Lord, trusting him to protect you? Philippians 4, 6 through 7 says, Do not be anxious for anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will what? Guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. In 2 Timothy 2.12, Paul says, But I'm not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed, and I am convinced that he is able to guard until that day what has been entrusted to me. Prayerfully seeking the Lord, trusting him to protect you. Jesus teaches us, hey, sometimes it takes drastic action, right? Now, this is specifically about sin. In Matthew 5, 29, he's using some pretty graphic language, some hyperbole here where he talks about remove your eye, cut your arm off if it causes you to sin, right? This is taking drastic measures to prevent sin. But similarly, if we are talking about guarding our hearts, we can put up measures in our own lives, take measures to safeguard us, convictions that we have so that we are not even close to taking in the bad to result to have a result that is sinful, if that makes any sense, right? Paul says, make no provision for the flesh. <clears throat> Do you have another believer that can hold you accountable? Do you have rules on your interactions with the opposite sex? Do you have safeguards on what you can access on your TV, your phone, the internet? Make no provision for the flesh. Oh, and young people, reminder here, if you're in here today and you think that your parents are crazy, overbearing, all these stupid rules, it's so restrictive, it's a prison, you're overbearing. But look at the responsibility that parents have before the Lord in raising children. Look at your responsibility that you have before the Lord to be honoring to your mother and father. Right? You should be thankful that parents take notice of what's going on and what is around you. That they are aware of the outside influences in your life and that they're helping you to tune your receptors and guard your heart. Right? He has providentially placed you in the care of such parents to protect and prepare you. Uh, Kitchen declares, there's nothing of greater value on this earth than the condition of your heart. There's no action that will more directly affect the outcome and quality of your life than guarding your heart. There's not a more portentous uh, predictor of your ultimate end than what you expose your heart to. Above all else, guard your heart. 
right? I'm just telling you, like, with all totality, right? Or all totality of guarding. Place your heart in maximum security. <laughs> Carefully filter and examine what's coming in and trying to get out. Rightly used receptors, rightly treasuring wisdom in, the, in its repository produces righteous results. Verse 24 through 27. Says, put away from you crooked speech and put devious talk far from you. Let your eyes look directly forward and your gaze be straight before you. Ponder the path of your feet, then turn all your ways, or ponder the path of your feet, then all your ways will be sure. Do not swerve to the right, excuse me, or to the left. Turn your foot away from evil. Right? This doesn't sound like righteousness, this doesn't sound like God honoring behavior. Right, But the first result of having receptors tuned in properly and rightly treasuring up wisdom in your heart and guarding your heart is taming the tongue. Put away in verse 24 here can be translated keep away. And then put far from you carries the idea of abandon. Crooked speech, right? Put, uh, put away from you, keep away from you, crooked speech. It's translated froward in the King James, and it means difficult to deal with, contrary to truth, disposed to disobedience and opposition. And then you have devious talk in the second part of verse 24, which can mean perverse, not sexual, but twisted, behave in a way that is against the standard, unclean, coarse language. We can't just simply stop, right? The command is to keep away. Don't do it. Stop it. But I tell you, you just can't stop that, right? You can try, but man doesn't have the power to tame the tongue, right? We saw Christ has told us that everything proceeds out of the mouth comes from the heart, not the tongue. The keeping away, putting far from the mouth and lips is a result of filling the heart with the Word of God. And this is only possible... Or I'm sorry, but going back, I had James 3.8 in there. No human being can tame the tongue. It's a restless evil full of deadly poison, right? We can stop doing these things, but it's an exercise in futility. Because it's not about your tongue. It's not about your mouth. It's ultimately about your heart. And the only, this is only possible through different thought, different motivation. And that comes from a heart filled and made new by the gospel and the word of God, Right? I think of vehicle maintenance here, and in the lubrication context of vehicle maintenance, you change your oil, right? And in order, if anybody's changed their oil, what do you do? You remove the old oil, and you got to wait till the old oil is out, then you fill it with new. That's not what we're talking about here. You can't remove and then fill. This is removal by filling. There are some in the context of vehicle maintenance, lubrication, there are some connections, some mechanical joints that need to be lubricated. And some of them, you have a grease gun fitting and what they call a purge valve. And then when it comes time to replace that grease, what you do is you hook your grease gun up and you start pumping in the good grease. And you watch the valve. And eventually, you, the good grease is going to overwhelm all the grease, the bad grease in that housing and it's going to start extruding the bad grease out the purge valve. And you sit there and you pump the good grease in until what? You don't see any more bad grease. The only thing being, the only thing being extruded is good grease, right? That, so it is with our behavior, right? 
and the work of the gospel and God's word in our heart. Yes, the command is to keep away, get far from your mouth and lips, but the only way to, to adhere to this struck instruction is tapping into the power of God by keeping your heart filled with God's word and guarding it with all vigilance. If you're doing this, guess what? You're starting to walk in wisdom. You've got your eyes on the prize. The second result, right, we get to tame the tongue. The second result is discernment. Verse 25 says, look, let your eyes look directly ahead and let your gaze be fixed straight in front of you. In the positive, let assumes that the reader here is already on the correct path, that, that their focus is where it needs to be. So in verse 21, our eyes, back in verse 21, our eyes served to help us take in and retain God's word. Now they must retain and fix that focus on God's word, on that course. A wise man knows where he's going. Verse 26 and verse 27. Watch the path of your feet and all your ways will be established. Do not turn to the right nor to the left. Turn your foot from evil. The wise think well upon the path of their feet. The translation, the verb watch, ponder, um, it's a difficult translation from what I was reading from the commentators, and it can mean to level, make your ways level, or to perceive. And kind of, they're divided on what's the right interpretation there. I think, I'm going here with one scholar noted that in the context of Proverbs 5, 6 and 5, 21, it seems clearly pointing to perceive, right? To perceive Cause the wise heart to be alert and step aside from all encumbrances, distractions, to that, uh, distractions that keep you from proceeding down the straight path. That is consistent with previ- the previous verses as we are talking about your f- committed focus to God. Deuteronomy 5.32 says, You shall be careful, therefore, to do as the Lord your God has commanded you. You shall not turn aside to the right hand, or to the left. Here in Proverbs, to the right nor to the left, just as there in Deuteronomy, anything in these two directions, to the right or to the left, is a distraction from what lies ahead directly straight into the will of God. Veering off this straight path can lead to any number of problems. So, Christ exhorts us in Ephesians 5.15. He says, look carefully then, how you are, Paul, look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will, what the will of the Lord is. Of God's will, John MacArthur says, knowing and understanding God's will through his word is spiritual wisdom. The first step away from his word is the first step on a path of trouble. This discernment is produced by the efforts of the previous verses that keeps one from becoming captivated by the enticements and entertaining options of the world. Right? That's where you're swerving left or right. But that discernment, the result of the work of God's word in your heart, keeps you on that straight path. The third result of wisdom is wisdom walking is all your ways will be established. Matthew 7, 13 through 14 says, Enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way, way is easy that leads to destruction, and those who enter by it are many. For the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life, and those who find it are few. 
as you walk looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of your faith, the way, the truth, and the life, you will find each step stable, steady, safe, and free from destruction. And then the last result, we got to jump back to verse 22. For they are life to those who find them and healing to all their flesh. Not only is this a result, but it's also the reason to seek and find wisdom. It's life. It's health. They are eternal life for all sinners who are dead in their trespasses, whoever who received the gift of the gospel, and they are health for the whole body to the Christian on the path of sanctification. When we are caught in unconfessed sin, or we step away from the word, it has a negative effect on our body. Who can accurately, right, calculate the physiological, emotional, and psychological harm that sin brings? We just, men's study, we listened to a a Vody Brockman uh, sermon on brokenness, and he reminded us that our bodies retain. That's why we tune our receptors in, right? You have the scars from sin. It's in there. Those memories, those visions, those images. David, in Psalm 32, 3, says, For when I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was dried up as by the heat of summer. Not only does wisdom enable us to avoid these disasters, it can help bring us back to the straight path. And we see that again with David in Psalm 51. As he returned his focus and attention to God, as he worked on his heart, Psalm 51, 10 through 12 says, Create in me a clean heart, O God. Renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence and take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore me to the joy of my salvation and uphold me with a willing spirit. And then further down in verses 16 and 17. For you will not delight in sacrifice or I would give it. You're not pleased with a burnt offering. The sacrifices are of God or a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. A broken and contrite heart. Oh God, you will not despise. When we are rightly using our receptors, rightly filling our hearts with the word of God, the results are the ability to tame the tongue, discernment, and establish a walk that is rooted in and pleasing to the Lord. There's only a sole singular source for wisdom. Colossians 2, 2 through 4 says that their hearts may be encouraged being knit together in love to reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ, whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Jesus tells us, for where your treasure is, there your heart will also be. Do you truly treasure Christ and what he's done for you? How, back in school, how do we know how well we, we are doing with the three R's? Right? They test you. You had constant tests, examinations, right? Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 13, 5, Examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves. Or do you not realize this about yourselves, that Christ is in you? Unless indeed you fail to meet the test. How are you doing with the four R's? How is your heart? Have you trusted in Christ and received a new one? Who a man is and what a man does are inseparable. What do your struggles reveal about the condition of your heart? Pray with me. 
Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, just thank you for Solomon. Thank you for your word, Lord. Thank you for that it cuts straight to our heart, Lord. I just pray that as we, we go away today that we do, that you would work in us, Lord, to examine our hearts, that we would take uh, inventory of what's in our hearts and, and how we are guarding our hearts, Lord, and that, um, that you would just work in us to help us to be more obedient, more Christ-like, Lord, that we may be walking in a manner of wisdom that is pleasing and honoring to you and uh, uh, just uh, seasoning, giving light to the world around us. And again, thank you for this time. Thank you for your word. And we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.